So this evening, so this evening I like to look a little bit at grasping versus creative engagement. And possibly you might notice that talking about this subject, I am not going to use the word, the words attachment, non-attachment, detachment. Whenever I think of uh, attachment, I think of a semi-detached house in England. <laughs> because personally, I feel these words are not very useful. And I prefer to talk about grasping or degrasping or creative engagement. But first, I'll talk about the utensil we've been using for the short ceremony we do with the bowing because somebody left me a note asking what's a symbol, uh, what's the meaning of offering water, burning incense, lighting a candle. And actually these symbols are very connected to the subject because actually in Korea when uh, they use these three things is because they are symbols of awakening. They're actually symbols of non-grasping, of creative engagement. And so if we look at the first one, we look at the incense. So the incense propagate its scent as it disappears. And here you have two ideas about awakening. One idea about awakening, which is about selflessness, in terms that the incense disappears as it gives it to others. So that feeling, sensation of dissolution from this very fixed notion of self, me, mine, to actually disappearing as one sprayed the fa fragrance. But also the incense, because incense will just, its scent will go everywhere, very widely. And the incense is not going to say, oh, I don't like them over there. I am not going there. So I'm kind of going kind of a little tangent there, because I like those. It doesn't do that, it just, just widely. So seeing that this notion of awakening is really connected to this non-discriminating, one could say, to really see every human being, every life, as having the value of being seen as a life and respecting it for itself. So this notion of selflessness and wits, great wits. Then the next one is a candle. So we lit a candle. And when we lit the candle, we can actually, two things happen. The candle is illuminated, but it's also illuminating. And also the candle disappear as it gives light. 
So again, this notion of dissolution of that fixed, solid entity of a self, and more this feeling of dissolution, of selflessness. But also this idea that actually the practice, awakening, is going to help us to become clearer for ourselves. But not only that, it will make us clearer for others. So this clarity is not just for ourselves, but we'll try to share this clarity and make other benefit from this clarity. So it's a, at the same time as illuminating itself, it's illuminating for others. And the third one I've already mentioned, water. That one aspect of the water is that it's very flexible, it's very adaptable. I've already mentioned that. But another aspect of the water is that it's reflective. So in a way, anything can be above the water and will be just reflected as such. And the water, but the water is not going to grasp. The water doesn't say to the pretty person, stay, 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 I like it. And doesn't say to the monster, oh, I don't want you, I don't want you. It just reflects just whatever is above it as it appears. And then when the thing is gone, no trace is left. So this notion of meeting something totally and at the same time, so really kind of showing it's not about being above, being apart, dissociating from anything, but really being very connected. But at the same time, not grasping at anything. So back to the idea of winning, of this no mind, is to know all things without grasping at any of them, but knowing them, seeing them very clearly. So that's the idea in terms of those and why we offer them and we bring them and we reflect on them as we do the bowing. So looking at grasping, we can look at grasping in different ways. Uh, one of the things that we've done during the retreat was a little bit, in a way, with the listening and the thought, the sensation, looking a little at, at grasping in terms of contact. We hear a sound, we see a sight, we have a sensation, and in a way, do we grasp at it? Or do we creatively engage with it? And I feel this is, in a way, what we've been doing with the help of the questioning, with the help of the anchoring, we kind of become more aware of contact. And then we become more aware, do I grasp or not? And then there is, in a way, what we're going to encounter tomorrow when we go back home. We're going to encounter uh, people, situation, things we're going to see, etc. So that's what I like to look a little bit about. But before we go into the different aspect of whom we're going to meet and how we're going to grasp, how we're going to creatively engage, 
lo looking a little bit back at this notion of identity, at this notion of self. Because in a way, the first thing we generally grasp at is ourselves. So let's say, after all these practice during the week, you don't grasp at a separate entity. You see that the self is actually something very moving, very shifting. And actually, what the self is, is actually a flow of inner condition meeting outer condition. And because of that, part of this self, this selfing organism, part of it is relatively stable. And part of it can be kind of quite changing according to different things. But then, okay, we don't have a fixed entity, a fixed self. But then what do we grasp at? in terms of ourselves. And we have kind of, I think, looked at this and be aware of this a little bit during the retreat. You might have time grasp at a thought. And what's the difficulty with grasping is that when you grasp at anything, you actually reduce yourself to it and then amplify around it. That's a problem with grasping. It's not that it's a problem. It's a, I mean, we need to grasp a little bit. Grasping is just kind of an evolutionary mechanism to survive. But how much do we grasp? That's a question. Are we grasping 95% or are we grasping 50%? So in a way, when we look at these different conditions that forms us, to see that as soon as we grasp a thought, actually, in a way, what we have to see is that generally we grasp, we identify, we limit ourselves to what we grasp at, and then we amplify it. And this is, in a way, I would say the problem with grasping is because generally with it, we amplify. So that we might, suddenly we have a thought, I'm a fantastic person, I'm a terrible person, or whatever it might be, and poof, suddenly I am just sad. But I mean, we, we are this organism, which at one level is quite amazing. We have this organism with its potential, its possibility, and suddenly this organism becomes reduced to a thought. And this is very painful, generally, because it's like, poof, and then if you reduce yourself to a thought, then you don't have much place for the creative potential. It gets stuck. Or you might grasp at a sensation, either in terms of the form, you are small, or you are tall, or you are like this, or you are like that. Or you might grasp at a sensation, like when we hear, it's kind of like suddenly, I mean, it was very strange, me, uh, three, three weeks ago, when I fell, it was very interesting. I mean, I had passed that for 18 years, the same place, so many times every day, and I have never fallen. 
and then puff, and my face went puff on the. So it was a little kind of. Mm. And then it was interesting in terms of my identity. Because before I was not a person who had fallen. And after that, I was a person who had fallen. And it was interesting, like I kind of had this kind of strange questioning of my identity as a standing up, upstanding person. It was interesting for a few days. It was like, hmm, am I really as upstanding as I think I am? It was a little bit, well, I'm not so sure. That was interesting. But I mean, I could have grasped at it and think, well, this is terrible. I'm going to fall every day. And then I'm going to have this kind of red eye all the time. You know, I'm aging and da, 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 da. I just, no, no, I just thought, hmm, this is strange. The red eye was strange too. It happens. Something happens. But what do we do with that something that happened? Do we grasp at it? Do we amplify it? Do we identify with it? And then in a way, reduce yourself. I mean, I could have reduced myself to this person who has fallen and is going to fall forever after. Or just, hmm, it happened. And just be aware of that. And so this is the thing with the creative engagement. To me, if we don't grasp, then there is a potential to be in the situation in a different way, because there is more space, there is more possibility. Because if we grasp, it's like, oops, we can really reduce ourselves to what we grasp at, which is just one of the conditions that forms us. Or we can grasp at an emotion. I am a sad person, I am a happy person, or I am a good person, I am a bad person. That's a quality. But generally, the goodness, the badness, the happiness, the sadness depends on conditions. So we have to be very careful with meditation. Because if we do meditation and we become good at it and we feel it really helps us, and we think, ah, now I am a good meditator. And I will always be a good meditator. And nothing will change that. And once we had a, I used to, there, there is a month long meditation in November in Gaia House. And long ago, I used to live in England and help out with it. And every year we had this, uh, person who come and really had fantastic experience with the meditation, fantastic meditative state. And then one year, that person, he was not working that way. And so I, I saw the person in interview and it was like, nothing is going on and I'm not having these meditative experiences. And then I said, but maybe something happened. And he said, yeah, recently me had had so many losses in his life. And how can you not, when you have losses, even if you are the greatest meditator, you still will have the impact of the losses. It will be a shock to your system. So in a way, it's kind of like 
the meditation is not going to make us go beyond condition. But the meditation might help us to grasp much less and creatively engage much more with the condition, that it be good condition or that it be difficult condition. And then there is a kind of like a strange condition that sometimes, because you see, grasping works both ways. You can grasp, you could say, positively because something gives you happiness or is great, you want more of it. Or you can grasp negatively. I don't want that. But the fact that you reject something is grasping in reverse. So you're still grasping even if you're rejecting it. So then the same thing will happen. You reject something and then that will make you identify, limit and amplify it. So it works both ways. I want this, I don't want this. The same, there is the same amplification, the same reducing. And so there is this strange thing sometimes that people don't like themselves. I hope you're not like that, but sometimes people don't like themselves because of the way they feel, because of different conditions from their childhood or whatever. And you kind of, in a way, you could say you're stuck with this person you don't like, which kind of is a little uncomfortable. I mean, if it's somebody else you don't like, you can avoid them, you know? But if you, you don't like, I mean, you're with you all the time. And this leads me to talk about one of the things, which is in terms of grasping, is creative wise love. Because often people have the impression that if I meditate, I must not be attached. And once when somebody told me, I must not be attached to coffee. I thought, unless you kind of, you know, have it on drip all the time, coffee, I would say, is okay. <laughs> but generally, what we love is people, animal, trees. And what happened when we love something? When we love something, I think it's a very important quality, and the Buddha talks about it. But when we love something, somebody, it makes us feel light. It makes us feel warm. And so, if we loved ourselves, then we would be light and warm 24 hours every day. That would be an easy thing to do. And so that's kind of something to look at a little bit. Am I grasping negatively at myself? Or am I creatively engaging with this organism? Can I have some love for this organism? And then there is, let's say we love somebody. And when we love somebody, generally it's because we appreciate the person because they bring something to our life. And generally, 
we love the person because they make us feel good. They make us feel warm. They make us feel light. So then we can first grasp at the person. So then we kind of stick to the person because if we are with them all the time, well, we are going to have this light, warm feeling all the time. So we kind of, you know, try to be with them all the time. Or do we grasp at the feeling? But that's a little tricky. So this person is giving me this really nice feeling. That it be somebody we love as in a partnership, that it be a child. So we love them and they seem to love us. And so they create within us this feeling. But what happened if, for example, suddenly the partner is cross or you are cross and there is no feeling? Does it mean you don't love them anymore? Does your love depend on having the feeling 24-7? since the feeling is impermanent. I mean, the love can be quite relatively continuous, but what does it mean there? Then the love, if I talk about creative wise love, I'm talking about appreciation, caring, trusting, all this quality. But if we reduce love to a specific, especially romantic, intense feeling, what are the conditions that make us having this romantic, intense feeling all the time? Generally, it's hard to keep up. So what do we do if the feeling is not there? A mother or a father and the child has a temper tantrum, temper tantrum and say, I want ice cream. And you said, no. There is no ice cream or you're not going to get ice cream. And the child says, I hate you. How do you feel as a parent? At that moment, he's like, oh, he doesn't love me. He's going to be kind of traumatized for life. And then you might have the question, do I love him or her? When he says, I hate you, possibly, might be a little tough. And when he's all sweet, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you Papa. I mean, oh, yes, yes, yes. But when they are like this, what happened? So if there is not the feeling, is there still the love? And so that's why I think, in a way, when we talk about love, I think we have to make a little bit of a difference between the feeling we associate with love and the quality that is what I would call creative wise love. That we kind of, in a way, we appreciate each other, we care for each other, we appreciate the person for themselves and not necessarily just for ourselves. Because that's also 
kind of often what happens. Kind of, you know, like, uh, let's say we talk about relationship and partner and you fall in love. And then you think, wow, we're going to live together forever after and it's going to be fantastic. And then, so you have wonderful feeling. And then you start to live in the same space. And then there is difficulty. Because what's the difficulty? Not the feeling, not the appreciating, not the care. What's the problem is your habits. Your habits are going to be different. And on top of it, your survival habits are going to be different too. And so what do you do? What do you think? Well, you think, well, if they loved me enough, they would change and take my habits. Because, of course, my habits are better than yours. Because they're mine. But then they think the same. And then you have a stalemate. You know, what do you do? That's interesting. Kind of when you love a child, when you love a partner, or you love an animal. I mean, for the last three years, we had the cat which seven years or 10 years previously adopted us. We did not adopt him. Kind of he adopted us. He kind of, I am staying with you no matter what. So we say, okay, okay, okay. We, <laughs> we take you in. And it was a lovely, lovely cat, lovely cat. But the last three years, he really was, I mean, he was really kind of the poor thing, kind of fairly dirty and everything everywhere. But we loved him, and we had compassion, so we took care of him regardless of what was a little difficult with him. And so in a way, do you love only when it's easy? Or do you love also when it's difficult? Because that's, again, his kind of interesting condition. It's easy to love when it's easy. It's much harder to love when it's difficult. And so it's kind of like, how do we accommodate the difficulty? And how we can look at what is harmful. So in a way, when I talk of creative wise love, I think when we, what we can give to somebody as a gift is to love them in the way without condition. So they really feel love that they really accepted as they came to be. And at the same time, of course, some of us at times can be harmful. And then with this creative wise love, we can discuss. Because we can grasp, this is me, that's my right, or whatever it is. Or if I hurt you, what can we do about this? How can we listen to each other. What is it that is acceptable? What is it that is not acceptable? So really, love doesn't mean you love regardless. You give your love regardless, but then you work when things are harmful. What can I do about this or not? Then another thing we encounter uh, when we are in daily life is things, 
things, interesting things. And uh, nowadays, uh, that's what I found very interesting about the society nowadays, is that we're told that we have to consume in order for people to have work. This is very difficult. If you don't consume, then they don't have work. So, you know, it's kind of, then you kind of want to have a more simple life, but then you feel guilty because, you know, but I need to have a new of this or new of that. And so it's interesting, this kind of like, kind of the economic system. But regardless of that, what do we do with things? Like often, to me, that's what I thought was fascinating. When I stopped being a nun, when I was a nun, I had two pairs of clothes, one shoes for summer, for winter, that was it. And then I stopped being a nun, and then there were things in shop windows. Ooh. And I would find myself plotting. Actually, I wouldn't find myself plotting. Plotting to get a good pair of shoes. Mm. So look at the shop window. I would try the shoes, think about the shoes, try the shoes again. And at some point, I would buy the pair of shoes. And then, immediately, I would want something else. And I did this a few times, and I thought, wait a minute. It's not about the thing. Because as soon as I get the thing, I want another thing. And I plot again. And so what is interesting with grasping is this kind of mm, we think is that you might not uh, want things. You might not need things. But you, you have the feeling. Very interesting. And this often is because of the pleasantness. I realized this with this shirt. So finally, I found some good shirt to teach retreats, a little large, not too large. No. Okay. So I found those shirts, and I can take the button. So finally, I found. Then I found three of them. So I need three so that, you know, two, and then I can change one if I need so I three. So I have three shirts. That should be enough. That's enough. But then I go to the shop, and I see the same shirt, and I think, I mean, I have enough of this shirt, but because I like them, they're good shirts. Mm. And I can feel this, mm, I want this one too. And then I think, what for? You've already three. You don't need one more. But I find that interesting because you like something, if you're, even if you don't need it, you want it. And so nowadays it's quite easy. Hmm, I want it, I get it. Because often things are quite cheap nowadays. And so in a way it's kind of like with things, it's a difference between do I need it? And the Buddha was clear, even the monks and nuns had certain needs. They needed food, they needed shelter, they needed clothes, they needed medicine. But even the monks and nuns at the time of the Buddha, it was very interesting. Because there is this sutta where the Buddha said, 
in order to be a true disciple of the Buddha, what do you need? And so you really think like you need at least to be the fifth jhana or amazing meditative experience or at least four breakthroughs or that you've seen emptiness or whatever. That's really what you expect because you have this huge preamble. This is going to be really great. And then what he says is to be contented with your food. And you should not try to have more fancy food of this type, of that type. And then kind of you realize that all the monks must not have been contented with their food. And they were kind of like, you know, <laughs> I would like a little bit more of that. Ooh, that sauce was good, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Second one, contented with your clothes. And again, there is all this little thing about the more wanting better clothes or more patches or less patches or this or that. So again, it's interesting. From the need going to the want. But the best one is the third one, where you say you must be contented with your logic. And don't go about starting to want to a fancy curtain <laughs> or more fancy doors. Or more, I mean, so again, you see kind of like the monks kind of, mm, not it be nice for a little this and that. Uh, no. And you would say, can you be just contented? You are warm, you are safe. Is that enough? So, you know, with this tendency, you know, do we need this? Or do we want this? And if we want this, what? Are we imputing? What is it that we're grasping at when we want it? And often the fact that this is going to give me lasting happiness, or at least a pleasant feeling told for long enough. But we all know you get the new car, you get the new dress, you get the new computer, you get whatever it is, it generally doesn't last very long. Yes, it's nice, but you still have to go to the bathroom, you still have to wash the dishes, you still might have problems with people in the office at work, and the car, the dress, the computer is not going to change that. That's interesting. When we grasp, often what do we impute? What do we put onto the thing that we're not going to get from it? So in a way, can we creatively engage? Because of course we need things. As the Buddha said, we need things for our survival. And how can we creatively engage with materiality? That, I think, is an interesting one. Because, you know, that's why I don't talk about non-attachment, because then people think, oh, I must be naked and not. No, we need a certain level of survival. But what do we use to survive? What is our relationship to it? And then another one, and I've mentioned it a little uh, briefly, is views. Views. That to me is kind of fascinating. The fact that views, as I mentioned previously, thought, views, are just a little electricity in the brain. Little kind of synapses, poof. And then, what do we do with you? 
this is something we really, which is really immaterial and that we really grasp at. So we have a view, we have an idea. And what do we think? We generally think, oh, I have an idea. Then we grasp at it. It is my idea. It is the best idea. Everybody must believe it. And this is what often happens with dogma, with religion, with practice. I mean, the same with meditation. Generally, you do your meditation, and if it's really work for you, that's the right meditation. And very quickly becomes the best meditation. And very quickly, it's everybody must do this. Either watch the breath, either ask the question. I mean, this is the same in Korean Son. My teacher was like that totally. He, just the breath. No, not the breath. Not with my teacher. Just a question. Just a question. Nothing else. And he created a big problem at uh, this meditation center in America long ago. They made the mistake of thinking anybody, any great master, must be fantastic to hear about and to listen to their Dharma talks. He's awakened, he's fantastic, let our student benefit from it. So they're on a three-month retreat, one month in, my teacher is passing by, I'm not the translator, somebody else is, who is as opinionated as him. And so <laughs> they go into the Dharma hall, and Master Cousin tells them, watching the breath, what a waste of time. You're no, you're no better than watching a corpse. <laughs> what you need to do is ask the question, what is this? And then he left. <laughs> and then never invited him again. And then never invited anybody else again. And then Joseph and Sharon had to work a little bit for a few weeks, you know. But at one level, it was good. You know, does this work or not, this watching of the breath? Or should we kind of follow that guy? So he was really convinced, you know, questioning. But why? And this is here another thing that we grasp at. Why was he so convinced the question was the best? because it was his experience. And he did not have any experience of watching the breath. I mean, once uh, monks from Sri Lanka came to visit him, and a friend, another friend, was translating, and he reported to me, it was like two different Buddhist dictionaries talking to each other, but not of the same language. And so they were kind of totally kind of passing themselves by not because they had in any bad intention, but because this is something is kind of nearly invisible. We grasp at our experience. So in a way, we are limited by our experience. So I think at that level, creative engagement is being humble. That yes, it works for me. Yes, it might work for a certain number of people, but it might not necessarily work for everybody 
all the time. I think that's what we have. To me, this is what I find uh, very interesting in terms of the one thing I am fairly sure awakening does not do anything to is actually this nearly biological grasping at culture. Because we, as I mentioned before, we imbibe our culture from a zero to whatever age we imbibed, we kind of, in a certain culture, in a certain water. And that becomes how we do things, how we think things, etc. So of course we are all human beings from different places, different environment. But over time, you know, it's kind of like there is this unavoidable, you could say, sticking, emerging being in this culture and then not noticing, oh, this is a culture that's not the way, that's not necessarily the right way, the only way. And so to me, this is what I found very interesting, meeting different great master. And all of them will tell you, my way is the best way. <laughs> and, and that I find fascinating however open, however uh, undogmatic they try to be, generally there is this limitation of culture, but this limitation of experience. So each of us has to be humble. The fact that, yes, I know my experience, I gain from my experience. But we have to be careful. Yes, most of the people might have, could have a similar experience but not necessarily so. So I think it's kind of like, this is so subtle, this kind of grasping at culture, at experience. And so in a way, to, to bring some liveliness to it, to bring some kind of little brightness to it, to say, oh yeah, you cannot not, not do it, but you can try to make it the least as you can so that you kind of really can still see uh, the value of the experience of the other person or their culture. So that's what I wanted to say. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.